Uh, when my kids were young, we used to play Monopoly. Any Monopoly de- dealers out there? And here's how we did it. I don't know how you did it, but we did it this way, is we would, we would divide the, the family up. And so, you know, you had one, one kid here and one kid here, and, and, and dad got the youngest kid. That's how we made it fair, right? And so we were rocking and rolling, man. And I will say this, I am a competitive person. I, and I take no embarrassment at that at all. If I'm playing basketball with my 10-year-old, I will block it into next week and be proud that I do so. Just so you know, all right? And so we're playing Monopoly. It, I mean, I'm going for everything, right? Because that's how we play, right? This is, that's the way you disciple your, your kids, all right? And, and so anyways, we're, 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 we are doing, we had amassed, my little partner and I, we had amassed a small fortune. We had three of the four railroads. I know you're impressed. We had both utilities. We had multiple properties and we put houses and hotels on those properties. And so literally as they're going around, I mean, we are flush with cash. Money is flying everywhere. It, life is good in the hood, right? And I get a phone call and I have to answer it. It's in the middle of the game. I looked at my little partner and I said this to him. I actually was trying to avoid pronouns. Ah. All right, trying not to keep, identify who my, who, who my little partner was at that time. I, I, I said to them this, I said, you're in charge. Whatever you do, do not lose the cash. Whatever you do, do not lose the property. I go out and have some pastoral conversation. I come walking back into the kitchen. Everybody is guffawing. They are laughing hysterically. I look down at my partner. He puts his head down like this. The properties are gone. The cash is gone. The properties are at other people's places and everybody is joking at my, our expense. All I wanted was for my partner to capably manage or steward, if you will, what I had entrusted, right? Just, just, just do this. The word stewardship, I, I wanted them to be a steward. The word stewardship is defined as the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. The, the, the careful and responsible management of, some, of something entrusted to one's care. And so a steward is, the, is an individual who is responsible for the stewardship of a possession, a property, reading railroad, right? Reading Railroad, I should say, uh, 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 delegated to them. So every one of us is a steward in here. You're a steward of your body, right? How much, how much pizza you eat on Friday night? You're a steward of the talents. You are, this is a gifted church. Some of you, you know how to take things apart and put them back together again, and it actually works, Right? Some of you can look at spreadsheets and you're looking and you're, you, can, you can manage finances in incredible ways. Some of you are artistic and it blows us all away. Some of you are incredibly gifted with relationships and we're just like, how do you talk like that to just anybody and everybody? You got so many friends. Like, you, you, this is a gifted church and you all have gifts. You are stewards of those gifts. But then when you got saved, when you came to faith in Jesus, not only where you, did you have talents, but you, actually, you also were given a spiritual gift. And so you're a steward of spiritual gifts as well. Today, we're going to look at financial stewardship. 
all right? No, don't everyone go, you know, uh-oh, like, uh-oh, no, no, here we go. Don't do that. Here, here's what financial stewardship, financial stewardship is God's spiritual x-ray machine that reveals the condition of your heart. Financial stewardship is God's spiritual x-ray machine that reveals the condition of your heart. And I want to ask four questions about financial stewardship, try to answer them, and then give a principle along the way. And so the very first question that I want to ask is this. When it comes to financial stewardship, who's in charge? Right? Who's in charge? The Bible puts it this way, and I know this isn't in Proverbs, right? David writes in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So it's not just the, the crops that come up from the ground, but it's the people who occupy everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In, in Deuteronomy 8, Moses writes to the nation of Israel, he says this, you shall, remember the Lord your, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. The, the idea simply is this. In the words of Randy Elkhorn, God owns everything, I'm just his money manager. We Christians, we tend to think like this. We tend to think that 10% belongs to God and that I get to manage the other 90%. And what Psalm 24 is teaching us is, no, 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 no. Actually, all of it belongs to God and I'm just a steward of that and I'm a, I'm a money manager. Christian, according to these verses then, when you receive a paycheck, so do you receive a paycheck once a week, every other week, once a month? How, how, just think about it. When you receive a paycheck, how much of your paycheck is God's? And the answer to that, according to the Bible, is the earth is the Lord's. And all that dwells on the earth is the Lord's. And so the answer to that question, how much of my paycheck is God's, the answer is, all of it. I just get to be a, a steward, a, a manager. Only, only here's the problem. We're not playing with Monopoly money, right? Think of, it, think of it like this way. Did you ever open up a bank account for one of your kids? And when they get their birthday money, they put it in there. And uh, when, we, when, we opened up, when we opened a bank account for our kids, right, it has their, their name at the top, but whose name is underneath that? It's either Joel or Tara, right? That's biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship is, is God saying this. I'm going to give you the paycheck, but we're going to share the bank account. And I'll kind of keep an eye over your shoulder to see how you're doing with it. Some of you are like, you know, God, my bank account's in the red right now. Could use a little help on that. The, so the, the principle is this, is that God's ownership God owns everything, but, but brothers and sisters, that's only half of it, that principle. If God owns everything, that's one half of the principle. The other half of the principle is I'm a manager of it, and I'm going to give an account for how I manage it. Do you see that? So it's, it's one thing to say God owns everything, and everyone's like, amen, brother, preach it. But the other half of it is I actually 
am going to give an account for what I do with God's money as his money manager. And so then financial stewardship is God's spiritual x-ray machine that reminds us, that's right, who's in charge of my finances? God is. Maybe that should be a catechism. Who's in charge of your finances, Christian? God is. Here's the second question. Why do you work? Like, why do you work? Do you work? You say, well, Joel, have you seen the prices of groceries lately? That's why I work. Uh, I, I, I work for my grocery bill. I, I work for the electricity is out of control, right? My kids keep the doors open. The AC's on. Like, shut the doors. I work because I work for my car insurance. I, I work for retirement. And in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, these verses are instructive as to why we work. Or perhaps why we, why, what, what the motive is behind it. Look at Proverbs 23, verse, verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist or to resist. Why? Well, when your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Working, here, here's why working, why we shouldn't work for wealth. There are, there are reasons why we should work, but working for wealth in and of itself is, is not helpful. And here's why. It's kind of like uh, our backyard, right? In the, in the middle of August, if I were to, we love mint chocolate chip ice cream at our house. And if I said to my kids, my boys, hey, I, I've, got, I've got some Bluebell mint chocolate chip ice cream. Um, you go mow the lawn I'll leave it on the porch, on the, on the back porch there, and when you're, when you're done, you can eat it. What's the problem with that in the middle of August? By the time they get done mowing the doggone lawn, right, the ice cream is going to be all melted. And God is saying to us like this, hey, listen, if you want to work for wealth, it's going to take, take flight. It's going to grow wings, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be gone, just like the mint chocolate chip ice cream would have melted away. That is, so how do we then square this idea? We are expected to labor, we're, expect, we're intended to work hard. How do we reconcile? Do you remember the message where we talked about work ethic and the value of hard work? How do we square this idea of working hard, not acquiring wealth? How do we, how do we, what do we do with those pieces? How do we put those puzzle pieces together? And I would suggest to you this, that the word wealth here is the idea of hoarding money for selfish purposes. Hoarding money for selfish purposes. That is, when we become owners, we remove God's name from the bank account, and now it's just Joel's name, rather than stewards, when we become controllers, money grows wings and flies away. Its temporal nature takes a life it takes on a life of its own. So here's the primary application here of them. Labor and a paycheck are stewardships to honor God in my God-assigned responsibilities. So why do I work? I work because God has given me God-assigned responsibilities that I am responsible for. I don't work for a grocery bill. I work to provide food for my family. Does that make sense? I don't work 
Just because I have an electricity bill, I work to provide heat or air conditioning for my family's comfort. You don't work to hoard money. You work to save and invest because a day is coming when you won't be able to work. You see, that's a difference, right? To, to, to invest and save it for retirement or something like that, right? That's different than saying acquiring wealth. You work to save for rainy days. You work and live on less than you make to practice. Why, why should you live on less than you make? To practice contentment. That I'm okay that I don't have to have as much as the Jones family. I can be content with what God has given me, so I want to live on less than I make. And so why do I work? I work because of my God-assigned responsibilities. What are my God-assigned responsibilities? I'm a Christian husband. I'm a Christian father. And because of that, I have specific assigned responsibilities to provide for my family when rainy days come, to provide for my families when the day comes that I can no longer work. I assume you do not want to hear me preaching when I'm 89 years old, right? That, that, that I'm laboring and, and my labor and my paycheck are stewardships to honor God in my God-assigned responsibilities, so that's why you can save retirement or you can save for your kid's college education or you can save for these various things and not feel like somehow the scriptures are condemning you. That this is actually a wise stewardship of what God has provided for you. Proverbs then, understand this, Proverbs is not condemning wealth in and of itself. But wealth that is selfishly consumed that's what Proverbs is condemning. A, a wealth that, is, that only thinks about bigger and better and more of. That is, think about this. Christians who understand and practice biblical stewardship, who use their wealth, are a blessing to society. Are a blessing to culture. Think about the hospitals that were created by, are, are created, were created by Christian denominations for the betterment of our culture. It wasn't because the insurance agency said, you know, let's throw the name Methodist up there. Let's throw the name Baptist up there. That'll really trick people. It's because Christian denominations set up health care for a community long before insurance companies ever existed. Why? Because men and women used and stewarded their finances for the betterment of other people. Think about, was it 10 years ago when the Ebola virus hit Africa? The very first organization, the, the first responders to humanitarian disasters they're in, they're, that Ebola virus were Christian ones, Samaritan's Purse. Think about the, the yellow t-shirts and the yellow hats that you see in disaster relief areas in the United States, whether it's in Oklahoma because of tornadoes or uh, Hurricane Harvey here in Houston. Did you see, do you ever see these yellow t-shirts and yellow hats? That's us, folks. That's our church family. There are Baptist churches from across the United States who pool their resources together. Why? To be a betterment and to be a help to society or to culture. 
The Sunday schools. We, we, there's Sunday schools that were happening in the 9 a.m. and there's Sunday school classes that are happening now. Do you know that Sunday schools were formed and funded by British Christians, London Christians, to help underprivileged children read and write using the Bible? How did this come to be? Because Christians said, I'm going to live on less than I make, I'm going to save for a rainy day, and I'm going to set aside a portion for the Lord's work, and when we pool our resources together, God blesses individuals and churches who steward God's resources in a wise way. Here's the third question then. So let me, before we move on, so, so the why do you work isn't just because you got to pay for the kid's roller skating birthday party, right? Or, you know, my, my girlfriend's birthday's coming up, and that's why I work. No, you work because you have God-assigned responsibilities. That's why you labor and work. The third question, then, is this. Where should you invest? Now, right now, in the uh, building next door, there is a Financial Peace University class going. I am not going to tell you invest in and then fill out some name of a mutual fund or something. That's not what I'm talking about. What the Bible is teaching us, and we're going to show, let me do this. You're in Proverbs 23. We'll come back to Proverbs in a moment. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to see your Lord's words in Matthew 6. What what Jesus is going to tell us is this. Whatever you think of the stock market right now, it's going well or you're a little nervous, Jesus is going to tell us that every one of us in this room, whether you have a retirement fund or not, is that every one of us in here are investors. I didn't know I was investing. Jesus is going to tell you that you are an investor. The only question is, is where are you investing? And Jesus is going to talk about this. So, so this is true. Like, so like literally, if you're like 16 and you work at some ice cream place, right? You're an investor. If you're 14 and you babysat this past week and you got X amount of dollars, you are an investor. The question is, is where are you investing? Look at, look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 19, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Reads this way. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, why, Jesus? Well, that's where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So do you see every one of us has an investment strategy? We, we, may, we may not know it. But either, either we are investing on things here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal or we are investing in treasures in heaven. Every one of us in here, though, is an investor. Where then should you invest? Let me give you an illustration. Maybe this will help. Yesterday, we're all proud Texans, right? Texas Independence Day. In 1837, the Republic of Texas printed, we printed our own currency, right? And probably like all good Texans, we were doggone proud of it. 
It was in 1845, though, eight years later, that Texas actually became the 28th state of the United States of America. Now, if you were a discerning investor and you had Republic of Texas dollars, I don't know if Sam Houston's face was on it, I don't know whose face was on it, and you knew 1842, there's kind of rumblings there in Austin about, hey, should we join the United States of America or should we remain our own republic? 1843, the rumblings get a little bit louder. 1844, if you were a discerning investor, what should you have done with the Republic of Texas dollars? Well, if you were a discerning investor, what you would have done is you would spend money in an investment that would bring a return. Right? You would have bought a horse. You would have bought a farm. Perhaps you would have bought some farm equipment. Why? Because the rumblings are there, and pretty soon, all these Republic of Texas bucks, these dollars, they're going to be gone. They're going to be worthless. So I'm going to get what I can while I can and invest this money so that I actually have a return after we, we, we switch to a different currency. Grace Life, here's what Jesus is telling us. You have a currency right now that soon will be worthless. And that you need to be investing your currency in something of eternal treasures. That our Lord is telling us, if you invest in treasures on earth where, moth, uh, where, where moths and rust and thieves will do damage, but I want you to lay up treasures in heaven, God will protect and multiply that investment. And I didn't read this, but did your eyes keep reading those verses? Look at verse 21. Of Matthew 6. Jesus then concludes that by saying this For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, one of the ways then, in fact, so that God is actually kind of, He's allowed, He's given us opportunities to actually do personal, individual heart surgery. That either I can, in a diagnostic way, I can determine I know where my heart is because I can look at my debit card statement or I can look at my credit card statement. But on the equal or inverse opportunity, I can also, if I want to redirect my heart, what do I do? I redirect my resources. I've said this to you before. I'm a ridiculous University of Houston basketball fan. It didn't always used to be that way. 2012, our family moved here. They were bad, really bad. We're number one right now. Do you know what I have found over the years, right? And I know all the UT people right now and AM people are gagging, but come on, give us something. We don't, our, our football, we're coming along, all right? But what I have found is the more times I've gone to basketball games, do you know what happens in my closet? I got a lot more red now in my closet. Why? Because, right, where my heart is, there will my treasures be also. That is, the more exposure I've given myself to U of H basketball, the more my heart follows it. This is the principle that Jesus is, is following. And so then, so here, here is the principle, right? We're all investors. You're an investor. You don't have a lot to invest. Okay, invest wisely. We're all investors, so invest wisely. So, brothers and sisters, if, if, 
someone did a review of your finances, let's just say they had a spreadsheet of your personal life and all the, the debit transactions or all the credit transactions, and, and your name was at the top, but it was blacked out. And you had a, a coworker, and their debit and credit transactions were on this sheet of paper, and their names were blacked out. If someone did a review of your finances, I think part of what Jesus is getting at is this. In what ways do your finances express and reflect a different investment strategy than your non-Christian friends? Could someone tell by a sheet of paper with your name covered up, this person has a different investment strategy than this person over here. This person here seems to like Buffalo Wild Wings every Friday night. And they love the Astros every Saturday. And they love, and they could just keep going on the list. And they looked at yours. And they said, they like Chick-fil-A. But you know what? There's some other lines in here that seem to reflect a different priority in their life than B-dubs every Friday night or the Astros or anything of the sort. This is where Jesus is, is pushing and prodding our hearts, that we're all investors, so brother and sister, invest wisely. Here's the final question. That is, how should you pray? You're talking about finances, right? And biblical stewardship. That is, so how do I take a message like this and how should I pray through something like this? Like, even if you're 15, this is for you. And if you're 85, this is for you. Like, how should I pray this? And we're going to be back in Proverbs now, Proverbs chapter 30. And I want you to see what Solomon writes because we're talking about God's wisdom and stewardship. Here's a prayer for sustaining stewardship that honors God. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. That's, that's one request. Here's the other. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There's two temptations, right? One is caused by scarcity, and the other temptation is caused by abundance. And so I would imagine that in a room this size, there's, there's both temptations, because we live in the United States, we're going, to be, we're going to tend towards the abundant temptation. Neither of these temptations are excuses to sin, right? The need for food is not an excuse to steal any more than abundance is an excuse to forget the God who gave it to me. Solomon's prayer is protect me from need so I don't have food, because I don't have food and I don't want to steal, but also protect me from abundance. And our culture tends to reflect the abundance side. Would we agree? That is, I don't need God. I can ensure myself from every possible disaster in my life. Our abundance then 
Our abundance, brothers and sisters, let us think this way. Our abundance gives us new ways to explore how to overthrow God's kingship in my life. And we've got to fight against that. And so here then is the final principle, and that is this. Ask God to meet your needs in order to avoid denying God in word. Eh, who's the Lord? I got this myself. I work hard for my money. Or deed, I need, I want, I take. God, protect me from the, for protect me from the, the need and protect me from the abundance. For parents. Brothers and sisters, this is so important for us. That we have, we so often hold up this American ideal, but a healthy prayer is God, protect our kids from the abundance that American culture offers because why? Affluence can deaden the soul. Affluence can deaden the soul. Wealth can desensitize our need for, for God. Right, be, being, be, be, having need and being poor, like that too can, can deaden the soul and say, well, I'm just gonna work hard for everything I got and everything I get is because I, I work for it. Protect us from both. Money can intoxicate, both for the wealthy and the poor, right? Money can intoxicate the heart with self-worship. And one reason I understand, I understand as soon as I talk about biblical stewardship and there's a picture of Ben Franklin's head on the screen that's like 15 feet big. Like, I get it. We've all seen the TV preachers, right? I get the reticence in Christian churches and amongst Christian people to avoid conversations like this. But brothers and sisters, we live in the wealthiest country in the world, in the history of the world. And one reason why I need regular reminders of biblical financial stewardship is because the only antidote against self-reliance and materialism is to be generous with my time and treasures and prioritize where God prioritizes. That really is. Right now, I know you want the pay raise. That's really not what you need. You don't need more money right now. What you need is a reorienting of priorities in your life. That's what we need. Financial stewardship is God's spiritual x-ray machine that reveals the condition of my heart. It's not a surprise in any way that the wealthiest country, right, that we would have the greatest, that millions of Christians would struggle with managing money. The key then is not to understand, the key, here's the key is not to understand that we are deficient, right? We understand we're deficient in this area. I don't need someone telling me, I, I, I've messed up in this area, I need to do better, right? We all got that one. I need to understand why I am deficient. What God, self-created God, am I bowing down to worship? Is it because I'm not content is because I'm such a saver that I'm a, I'm a hoarder, because I'm insecure that God can actually provide, right? There's, there's dangers on either side. One of our catechisms reads this way, what is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And we sing a song like this. And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body 
and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And even though we have the phrase, in God we trust, on our coins and paper bills, we have been discipled. We have been discipled. We have gone to not a Sunday school of biblical knowledge. We have been discipled in a Monday through Saturday school that our only comfort in life and death is the almighty dollar. Visa. MasterCard answers my prayers. Amex. But what did Jesus say? What does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would it profit you, teenager, if you graduate someday from college and you're making six figures, but you die and you split hell wide open? Would that really profit you? Jesus then follows that up by saying again, or so, so, so some may be thinking, you know, I think he's right. I think I'm a little too materialistic. I probably ought to give more than I do. Really need God to be happy with me. Jesus follows that up and he says this, right? He says, for what is a profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus says, For what can a man give in return for his soul? So if you're thinking right now, well, I just need to give money to Jesus and Jesus Jesus will be happy with me. Jesus just said, for what can a man give in return for his soul? I am not asking for your money. I am asking on behalf of God, give your heart, your soul, and your life to Jesus Christ. And I wonder if too many of us, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have bought into the lie that salvation is nothing more than good fire insurance. But everything else is very compartmentalized. No, my only comfort in this life, in this life, has nothing to do with how fast my Wi-Fi speeds are. Has nothing to do with whether they're serving curly fries at Jack in the Box. It has everything to do, my only comfort in life and in death is Jesus Christ. Jesus, you know what Jesus saves? Jesus doesn't just save from sexual addiction. Jesus doesn't just save from uh, uh, addictions of various kinds. Jesus saves me from my materialism. Jesus rescues me from my fear of financial uncertainty. Jesus can rescue you from that. Jesus can make me content with having less than my neighbor. And driving a car that's a lot older, I can be content, that we can be content like this. Jesus can sustain me with the basic necessities of life. Grace Life, x-ray machines are good. Why? Because they reveal broken bones. It's one thing to know you got a broken bone, but it's something different to put a cast on it and begin to mend it, yeah? The cure 
or one of the cures. For wealth hoarding Christians, yeah, and debt incurring Christians, because they're on both sides of the ditch, the cure for wealth hoarding Christians and for debt incurring Christians is what? To see afresh the generosity of our God in giving his son Jesus Christ. Your your money, your financial investments are a lot more connected to to your understanding of Jesus. Because the only cure for my insecurity, my nervousness, my fears, or the fact that I'm going to insulate myself from everything possibly bad that can go wrong in my life is because I need to have a fresh glimpse that my God will supply all of my needs in Christ Jesus. I need a fresh understanding of the generosity of, our God, of my God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace Life, we become the most like our Lord when we are a giving people. For God so loved that he gave. We're going to spend two weeks, this week and next week. And then we can all exhale, right? But brothers and sisters, with the egregious extravagance that has happened in Christian settings and in Christian, so-called Christian churches, let us not be afraid to walk in to the words of Jesus and say, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to order one part of my life around Jesus' words. I'm going to order all of my life around Jesus' words, including my financial stewardship. Let's pray.